Welcome to Wish Upon a Star. This is Andale Banks, your host. Wish Upon a Star is a dynamic radio program spotlighting talent in the arts arena with discussions of the challenges and some advice in making it in the visual, musical, literary, painting, and performing arts. As a unique part of the show, we will interview professional guests, experts in the fields of entertainment law, copywriting, studio recording, publishing, and promoters, all relative to this highly competitive industry. Today, ladies and gentlemen, our professional guest is Dr. John R. Lampkin II, educator, musician, performer, instructor. Dr. Lampkin is an instructor in lessons for the trumpet, trombone, baritone, horn, and tuba. Here's a biography. Dr. John Lampkin received his bachelor's from South Carolina State University, his master's from Morgan University, and his doctorate from the University of Maryland at College Park. All of his academic degrees have been in music education. Dr. Lampkin taught in the public school system in South Carolina and Baltimore City public schools before joining the faculty at University of Maryland Eastern Shore. He serves on the faculty of Sojourner Douglas College, served as a guest conductor, a festival adjudicator, and the promoter, organizer of the Eastern Shore High School Jazz Ensemble Festival. Now, for your further introduction, here's a very short list from his webpage of Dr. Lampkin's performance credits, which include performances with U.B. Blake, The Manhattans, Bob Hope, Stephanie Mills, Stanley Turrentine, Sonny Stitt, Cyrus Chestnut, Charles Irwin, Charles Fambrough, Benny Golson, Keita Betts, Ralph Peterson, Jr., and Harvey Mason, Jr. In addition to these greats, Dr. Lampkin performed with the many bands, Casey and the Sunshine Band, the Baltimore City Big Band, the Hank Levy Legacy Band, the Whit Williams Big Band, the Dale Corn Big Band, the Blue Moon Big Band, the African American Jazz Caucus Big Band, the Washington Jazz Battalion, and he also performed with the Peabody Jazz Ensemble. He's also a, a performer with his own jazz and jazz rock groups in various nightclubs in the Baltimore and Washington area, and for many parties and weddings. Dr. Lampkin has also performed either as a trumpet soloist with his sacred jazz quintet, with his brass ensemble, or as a guest conductor at various area churches. Further, in 1984, Dr. Lampkin recorded his album titled Hot, 
on which he wrote all but one of the compositions. It is give us also great pleasure to state that Dr. Lampkin and his wife, Eartha, celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary by renewing their vows for another 50 years. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lampkin. Thank you very much, and I'm certainly pleased to uh, be invited to participate. Oh, we know it's going to be most enlightening. I was just getting chills just reading your bio. We're going to take our audience on your most impressive career. So we will start at the beginning. Okay. You were born and raised in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and it says you got your undergraduate degree from South Carolina State College in the 60s. Right. Then you taught in the South Carolina public schools after you graduated. That's right. What was it like for you, an African-American male from Atlantic City, New Jersey, to go to college in the South and then teach in the South for several years? Well, that's a very interesting question. Um, uh, it was, it, well, to leave Atlantic City in the 1960s, I left in 1963. That's when I graduated from high school, from Atlantic City High School. And, um, well, in Atlantic City at that time, Atlantic City was like a, a little New York. Uh, there were just about in, on every corner, in every corner bar, there were was live entertainment, and I got a chance to go out and sit in with the guys. And as a matter of fact, uh, a lot of the musicians, older musicians in Atlantic City, knew who I was, and would allow me to come in and with my horn and sit in and play. And um, uh, you, you know, I don't know whether you know anything about the Club Harlem or or the uh, Five Hundred Club or the Steel Pier or any of those places in Atlantic City. But but Atlantic City from from probably Memorial Day to Labor Day was like was like New Orleans, okay, or mm. or, or was like oh yeah you know it, it it was every night there was something going on every night of from from Memorial Day to Labor Day in Atlantic City. There was it was it was it was like New Year's Eve <laughs> every night <laughs> because uh, you could go out anywhere downtown and hear bands and and see people. I remember seeing um, Duke Ellington just walking down the street. Um, I used to go sit and, and and you know listen to the bands at the Club Harlem. Uh, that's where I first saw Jimmy Smith playing at the Wonder Bar. Uh, all mm. those places are gone now in Atlantic City. So. That was the environment that I came from, and uh, you know we went to to Atlantic City High School, and at that time Atlantic City High School was completely integrated uh, because there was only one high school in the town, and uh, so so I had white friends, you know, um, and and you know it was it was it was a wonderful situation, although there was an underlying. Um, uh-huh. form of, of segregation that I was not aware of, you know, because I was a naive, what, 17-year-old, 16-year-old. So, you know, we didn't, we didn't see that. We were just enamored by, by all that was going on in Atlantic City at the time. So I get on the train <laughs> to go down to South Carolina, and I remember the train stopping in 
Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and and the conductor who was black had all the black folk leave the Pullman cars. I mean, he's with plush seats and all that stuff. That's that's where I got on the train in Atlantic City, and we had to go to the back of the train and in 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 a car that had these wooden chairs or wooden whatever that we sat on from Rocky Mount, North Carolina to Orangeburg, South Carolina. So that was was a culture shock, okay? And uh so when I when I got there it was it you know, it was totally different from what I had experienced living in Atlantic City. Um and and you know there were clubs but there weren't a whole lot of them, um, not like what I had experienced. It, it, it was it was more much more rural than than the, the the city that I had come from. Though Atlantic City was very small, I didn't know it, you know, because I'm very young. So uh, so so that's what that's how I was shocked, you know, uh, going to Atlantic, going to uh, Orangeburg, South Carolina. Um, and um and then then you know i was accustomed to jazz and there wasn't a whole lot of jazz there you know where i was at you know on the campus um so so that's that's what happened it wasn't until um a a, a person who became a very close friend of mine who was from orangeburg south carolina who had been on the road um and came back and came back to South Carolina State, and um, and this might have been my maybe it was the end of my freshman year, uh, and and he came in, and he had this plastic alto saxophone, a white plastic alto saxophone. So when he opened up his saxophone case, and I saw this white plastic alto <laughs> saxophone, you know, I knew that there was something going on. There was a story there about jazz because the only white plastic alto saxophone that I had seen was on the cover of Arnett Coleman's album. Mm. And I had gotten into Arnett Coleman before I left Atlantic City. So you can see how deep I was into the music. If I'm listening yeah. to Arnett Coleman, I'm also listening in Atlantic City. We had a we had a, a, a little group of guys who used to go around and listen to Miles and listen to John Coltrane and 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 uh, Charlie Parker, you know, we could talk the music. We knew, you know, who was playing what. Harsh Silver, uh, um, Art Blakey, all these people we were listening to. So I get down to South Carolina, and now these people are not listening to what I was listening to, for the most part. So when he comes in and with this plastic alto saxophone, and then he started to play, you know, I said, well, this is the person that I need to be in contact with, and. And the rest is history. Um, he uh, uh, organized the band when he came back, and and I ended up in that band. And, and as a matter of fact, he was from Orangeburg, and my wife is from Orangeburg, and she was in the same band, so we met. And so that was the beginning of a fifty-year relationship, <laughs> you know. So uh, so anyway, that's that's what it was like. I mean, it was it was it was totally different. Um, at you know, seventeen years old. I didn't particularly understand the the, the 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 racial dynamics and the racial struggles in South Carolina at that time. Yeah, I'm from from New Jersey and had white friends and you know in in, in Atlantic City High School. So you know 
and 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 I was very naive, you know, at that time. Right. Um, so so yeah. So it was it was <laughs> it was a culture shock. And then when I taught, I taught there four years. But Ooh. what was interesting interesting about that? Um, the school that I taught in, and this is really an interesting story. The school that I taught in, I was the band director, um, was superior to the white school, which was right across town, and the whites did not come to our school, nor did the blacks go to the white school. It was it was still segregated. I mean, this is 1967, 68. I graduated in 67. So, and I got my job. And so... You know, I, I went into the black school, and it was a it was a consolidated school. I mean, we had K through twelve in the same building. And what school was this? This was it was called. Check the name. It was called the, the Williamsburg County Training School. Mm. <laughs> That's what it was called, and this was in Greeleyville, South Carolina. Now, the Greeleyville School was the white school. And I, oh. I think it was just called Greeleyville School or High School, whatever. And it was, it was kind of run down, and it, you know, wasn't kept well. But the guy who was the principal, his name was Charles E. Murray, and ultimately that school became known as the Charles E. Murray um, School. I think it was, I think it became the high school. Okay, you know, and this was this was several years after I left because when I left, he was still alive. Um, and and upon his passing, they named the school after him. But he was a kind of of African American who was very proud of his race. Was very proud of the fact that he had to that he was charged with the responsibility of educating these black minds, and he he took his job very seriously, um, and so serious that seriously that. When you walk down the hall, you could see your face <laughs> in the floors. It was that clean, okay? And he ran a tight ship, but he was also a man of the arts. So every oh. year, yeah, every year we put on this 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 huge Christmas program, and he would invite um, various clergy, white and black clergy, to be a part of the Christmas program. And we called it the Christmas program. You know, nowadays in, in public schools, you don't call it Christmas program, Christmas program. As a matter of fact, you don't say Christmas program. It is a winter program, <laughs> you know. But we had that, and at the end, we had a, at the end of the year, we had a big um, um, concert with the kids, and I was able to have a jazz group there, and and so, uh, so it was. It was really interesting, and, you know. But then, after about f- four years, I was ready to come back north, and that's when I came back to um, to uh, to Baltimore. But uh, yeah, I want you, you know. to elaborate on your experiences, and but we have several questions, so that will be right in tune with my next thought as to your dissertation about the difference between the schools in South Carolina. Okay, so when you came back to Baltimore and you taught in the Baltimore City Public Schools, how did that experience differ from your teaching in South Carolina public schools? Well, it, it, uh, you know, the, the difference was this. Um, I think, I think the, the, the main difference probably 
was the fact that that the the students in in um, Baltimore were probably socially uh, and musically more advanced than the students in in South Carolina. Now, uh, when I say socially and musically, you know, you have to consider that that at a time at the time in the sixties. Um, it was a very turbulent area era. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and uh, in in when I come to Baltimore in the seventies, uh, many of the experiences that that the students in the South were just beginning to have, the students in the North had already had. Okay. Oh, uh, they had yeah. had experiences with. Um, uh, with going to school with with white students, however, this is an interesting point. However, uh, what I found once I got to Edmondson High School was that there was a time when Edmondson High School was all white, was mm-hmm. a white school, and there was a white principal and the band director was white. But over a period of years that that I wasn't privy to because I got there in 1971. It became black. So now you had um, white students and black students who were in that school together at some point. But the the um, the white students and white families had moved out of the Edmondson Village area and had moved further into the counties. Okay, and so now what was left behind were predominantly black families who had moved into the um, uh, the Edmondson Village area. Um, and now the school was predominantly black, not because there was a segregation law, but because now the neighborhood was predominantly black. And so 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 the students, though they experienced uh, in a, a black situation in a black school, it wasn't because they had to, and that was that was one of the main differences. Um, also, so musically, um, now you have to understand. And when I came into Baltimore, there were a lot of clubs in Baltimore. I mean, you know, I used to play in in the um, uh, uh, the lucky number. I didn't do lucky number, but but um, uh, Lenny Moore's. Um, uh, uh, Sportsman's Lounge. We used to play there all the time. The Lucky Number had closed. There had been some kind of problem at the Lucky Number, but there was also the closet. There was also the Birdcage. You know, there were there were a lot of clubs that that uh, featured live music at that time, even on 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 um, uh, uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. You know, the the Art Social Club was still va- uh, viable. I used to go with. Um, uh, Mickey Fields and sit in at at, uh, at some clubs. The casino was still happening. The sinks was still happening. See, so and there was also the um, uh, the famous ballroom that was still happening. So the students knew and heard this music. And so when I came to Baltimore, there was a community of students who understood jazz and who knew stuff. I'm talking about a high school student who knew what jazz was all about and wanted the music, as opposed to when I got to South Carolina. The kids pretty much didn't know anything about jazz, 
and mm-hmm. weren't clamoring to to learn jazz, and so it was it was a whole different situation musically. Um, uh, I, I don't even remember um, uh, ha- having um, the the, uh, the music administration talk to me about sending students to the solo and ensemble festival in Baltimore. When I came to Baltimore, you know, kids wanted to go and participate in the solo and ensemble festival. They wanted to to participate in the um, uh, in, in the band festivals. We did the band festival in, in South Carolina. That was all the way in, in Columbia. We had to go drive to Columbia to do that. Um, uh, but, but right here in Baltimore City, you know, there was a strong presence at the, um, at the Baltimore um, uh, Concert Band Festival and at the Jazz Band Festival. Um, so, yeah, yeah. See, so that was, that was basically, those were the differences that I experienced coming from South Carolina to, um, to, to, to Baltimore. But the South Carolina experience was more an education for me. Not only at the University of, uh, it's not the, it wasn't the University, it was South Carolina State College. Now it's South Carolina State University, but then it's a HBCU. Um, and, I, and I got a wealth of experiences, educative experiences at South Carolina State, but also as a result of living in the South those, those eight years, actually, um, you know, four years in college and four years teaching. Uh, that I'll carry with me forever, you know, and and that that helped to shape me as a, uh, um, you know, in my adult life. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that was very interesting, and uh, I think a lot of people in our audience can identify that progression that was during the 60s. I know Mm -hmm. I can. Mm -hmm. Dr. Lampkin, all of your academic degrees are in music education, with your doctorate from the University of Maryland College Park. What was that passion about music and education that drew you to making music education your life's work? Well, I got to go back to Atlantic City, see, as far as music okay. is concerned. <laughs> I like Atlantic City. <laughs> yeah, because when I was coming up, you know, I came up with the likes of, of, of Harvey Mason. I don't know whether you know who Harvey Mason is or not. You probably do, but Harvey Mason was was on that seminal album by Herbie Hancock, the Headhunter, on which oh, uh, yeah. mm. uh, on, on which Chameleon became a mega hit for them. You remember Chameleon? Yes. You know Chameleon, yeah. That right? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, Harvey Mason was the drummer on that album, okay? And, mm-hmm. and yeah, so he and I used to hang out in Atlantic City. We used to go to the clubs. We, used to, we were too young to go in the clubs. We used to sit out in front of the, you know, in, in, in front of the clubs and listen to this music. And, and while in Atlantic City, it was then that I realized I was going to be a musician, that that was it. Music was going to be my life, okay? And I remember having a, having a little garage band, and the guys would come over to my garage. I had a bass player, a drummer, myself, uh, a trumpet, and a saxophone player. And, and, and sometimes Harvey would come over in the garage, and we would we would play. We would write tunes, we'd write music, and we would play. And we'd gotten into the free jazz thing, you know, because I told you I was into um, uh, Arnett Coleman. 
and so we got into that yeah and uh and so that was that was how it all started for me plus my mother was a piano teacher and um and she she wasn't she wasn't a a a college grad but she could play she could really play and my father was a vocalist and so and then then i had a strong music presence from um from my um uh, my aunt you know and and she, she that was my brother's my 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 mother's brother's wife who was who who was was a music educator and she taught in the public schools in Atlantic City and she also was the organist at our church and when she left my mother became the organist at our church and um uh and so 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 music was always a part of of me particularly in Atlantic City and that's where that's when I knew that this is something I wanted to do you know and um and so when I go to South Carolina state um and 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 I had to choose a major the only major that was attached to music was music education mm-hmm. see and so I'm like okay you know this is what I'm going to major in here because this has to do with music you know and so I uh majored in music education and I'm glad I did because I learned how to teach and I learned I learned what to do you know and how to navigate through a public school system or or through the, the the college school system by taking courses in music education at South Carolina State and then when I come to Baltimore <laughs> this is an interesting story my wife is also a music educator she graduated from Claflin which is right across the the fence from from South Carolina State, you know, um, the only thing that separates South Carolina State College from Claflin University is this fence, right? So, <laughs> yeah. So she graduates from Claflin. So when she comes up here, and she has a wonderful voice. I mean, you know, she's the star in the family, and she um, ended up joining the 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 Baltimore Symphony Chorus. So she sang in the Baltimore Symphony Chorus for about two or three years. So while she's there, she says, John, she says, there's a black trumpet player in the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. Now, of course, there's only one. (laughs) He's a trumpet player. So I'm like, well, I need to know who he is. So she got his number for me. I gave him a call, and I said, man, look, I want some lessons. And so he says, all right, come on over. So I go over to his house, and I'm studying, you know, trumpet with him, you know, and and classical trumpet and technique and all that stuff. So then he says to me, he says, look, he says, rather than spend this money, you know, um, with me over my house, he says, I teach at Morgan. Why not sign up at Morgan and he says, we can can do Sundays because I was teaching, I was going over his house on Sunday." He said, we can do Sunday, but it'll be less because Morgan will pay me. And so that's what I did. So I get the Morgan. Now I'm studying trumpet. I'm taking only one class trumpet. So then, you know, and every semester I go in and, you know, plop my money down. And so people began to know me and said, well, look, so you already in Morgan. Why don't you just get a master's in music education? (laughs) And that's how that happened. So I'm like, okay, we can do this. So I then take the courses, you know, I pass the tests and whatnot, take the courses. And 
get my master's in music education. That's how that went down, you know. And um, and That's... so, hmm. Go ahead. You. So so then now now my PhD. So so I'm 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 taking these courses in in music education at Morgan. And now you know they don't have a, music, a, a master's in music education anymore. I was one of the last students who graduated with a master's in music education. So uh, yeah, so so now I'm I'm teaching, okay, and I'm playing because now now you know I had a pretty lucrative playing career in and around Baltimore because uh, I had I had a, my own bands, you know, funk bands, and I was in a band called Natural Gas and. Then, then later, you know, I had a band called Chain Reaction, which was actually a band that I developed with former members of Edmondson High School who had graduated, and they had a band, and their, their band kind of dissolved, and and I left um, Natural Gas, and so I formed this band called uh, Chain Reaction, and we be- we became pretty popular in about 1975, 76, 77, around the time. And so now I'm playing, and I'm also studying at the same time. And and I remember one of the things that I did was uh, I, I did a I did a clinic kind of situation at Morgan as part of one of my classes, and um, I brought a, a band to Morgan, and we we uh, this was right at the time that the synthesizers were coming out, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I had Mo Daniels. I don't know whether you know him or not, but he's a wonderful pianist in this area. Plays with everybody. I had him, and I had a few other players who came up, and um, you know, Miles Davis had that um, that electronic trumpet, so I kind of electrified my trumpet, you know, with 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 uh, uh, with foot pedals and all that stuff, you know what I mean? And so we we did that. That was that was one of the things that I did for a particular class at uh, at Morgan. But anyway, that's how that went down. And so you know, so I finally get my degree at Morgan. And um, then, um, then, then, then I go. Oh, oh, yeah. And so after I get the degree at Morgan, and this is an interesting story. One of my students from Edmondson High School graduates and goes to University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Gets down to University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Now that the band director had left for whatever reason, calls me and says, Mr. Lampkin, you need to come down here because the band director's gone. Well, I kind of wanted a, a college job. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so so I thought the guy was pulling my leg. I said, man, you got to be crazy. I said, well, you, well tell the, the, the chairman of the department to call me. Well, he did, and the chairman of the department called me. And, and, and we talked about it. And so, make a long story short, I ended up on the faculty at the University of um at, at South now, University of Maryland Eastern Shore, okay, and that's, um, mm-hmm. that, that's in, in Princess Anne. So, so, and and this is interesting. It wasn't until recently I was playing in a club in Baltimore. I had a, I had a, a, a every month I had like a jam session. I called it um, a jazz workshop after what um, Charlie Mingus was doing in New York in the '60s with his jazz workshop. So I called it jazz workshop. So, so the guy, his name is Mark Buchanan. So he comes to the to to the gig one night, and he hadn't seen me for a long time, and we hugging and whatnot, and you know, slapping each other on the back. And so, uh, so, and I think I might have been retired from from UMS then. I retired in in 2014. And so he says, "Man, he says, 
And so I said, man, thank you so much for, for, for what you did for me. I appreciate it. He said, man, he said, you did that yourself. I said, what are you talking about? He said, look, he said, I gave Dr. Johnson, who's since deceased, and he was the, the uh, chairman of the music department down at, uh, at UMES. He said, I gave him your album. <laughs> and he said, when he heard that album and heard you play, that's what prompted him to call you. And, um, you know, and that, he, he just, you know, I didn't know that part of the story. You know, that was the backstory. And he said, when he heard that album, he called you. But, uh, but anyway, so, 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 so musician first for me has always been the case. And education. So, you know, so music education, you know, I, I kind of married the two. Music, you know, because I'm a musician, I've always been. And and now an educator, and so that's you know that's that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful, and I'm glad you emphasized that because uh, I had I told you I had several other uh, musicians on my show. This is my yeah. fourth year, going on my five years, and I always ask that question about the educational part of music. In that, do you think it is most important that? understand how to read music when you are a musician. What is your take on that as well? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, um, how are you going to be an author if you can't read the book? You know, okay. if, how are you going to write stories? Because some musicians write do play by ear. They well, yeah, that's important, too. I mean, you know, guys, jazz, you, know. you know, the rappers, you know, that's called freestyle, where they can get up and rap and rap and 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 a rap is nothing but a poem. Okay, when you think about yes. it, you know a, yes. a, a rap is is a poem, and so yeah, they can they can freestyle, you know. But guess what? They can read too. You know, they can sit down and they can read, and they and and guess what? When they write, they write. You know, they they write words and they write words that they can read. Okay, so now. It is important, very important for musicians to be able to read, okay? Now, that does not diminish the fact that there are musicians whose ear and whose, whose tonal sense is so acute that they can sit down and play by ear, hear, hear one thing, hear something one time and sit down at the piano and play it, okay? Hear, you know, and, 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 and go ahead and play it. Um, uh, that 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 is a gift. That's a, a serious gift and a skill that a lot of musicians who can excuse me who can read do not have. Okay, um, uh, but then there are a lot of musicians who read who can also play by ear. Now, if you got a musician like that who can read and who can also play by ear then he's worth his weight in gold. I mean, I'm, you know, he could... The name that go, comes to mind is Earl Garner. Well, Earl couldn't read. Earl That's Garner couldn't read. He didn't know how to read, but his music... Sure, sure. Now, here's, now, he now, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, Cyrus Chestnut. Okay. Cyrus Chestnut can play by air. Can play by ear. Excuse me, I said air, but can play by ear. <laughs> you know, can sit down and and listen to something one time and play it, but then if you yeah. throw some music in front of Cyrus Chestnut, he can read it and play it. You see, that's right. what I'm talking about. When I mm -hmm. say, and today it's even it's even more important. You know, to, that 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 exactly. 
musician be able to read? Take, for instance, the church musicians. Okay, a lot of those church musicians cannot read. They can play. And, and, and please don't think that I'm diminishing their gift and, you know, and their ability to be able to sit down and play. But sometimes in the churches, if some person like myself, some old person like me, might want to hear a, a hymn out of the hymn book that you're going to have to open up and read, okay? And that's mm-hmm. when you say, okay, I see the difference now. That 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 old old hymn. I mean, you know, we can we can name them. Uh, uh, you know, um, uh, what a fellowship, or 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 um, Calvary, or or um, uh, old time religion, or, or 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 even older than those. Okay, that are in the hymn book, or or that that may not be as popular as those hymns. That right. someone might want to hear and has heard, and that's a, and it's there in the book. Okay, now a person who can't read can't open the book and just play to him. Okay, that's what I'm saying. You know, or, or or for instance, for instance, now, now I teach privately. I teach uh, at, at two stores, at, at, at two two establishments at Bill's Music here in town and uh, at uh, the Maryland Music Academy in Columbia. And one of the goals that I have, since I'm a music educator, is that the students who come through, I want to push them to participate in the solo and ensemble festival. You know, and because number one, I know how difficult it is for the band directors in the high schools, middle schools, to prepare one student or two students for the solo and ensemble festival when that band director mm-hmm. has to pair, prepare the whole band for the band festival. They call it the assessments now, you know, and 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 yeah. yeah, and so so if the band director is taking his kids, he wants his kids to be to to get a one rating because his job depends upon it. Let's just you know, let's get cut to the chase. That's what the assessments are all about. If you go in and you come back with a four, and and and, and the, the principal is going to look at you now. Wait a minute, you know what are you doing down in the band room? How come your score is a four? Okay. You know, a, a one is is an is an A rating. So so if your band gets a one, then your principal is going to be patting you on the back. You know, if your band gets a, a two, you're well, okay. That's not bad. But if you get a three or a four, you're going to have a problem trying to keep your job. That's the way it is. Okay. So having said that, who then is going to prepare the student for the solo and ensemble festival? Well, that's what I do. See, okay. So now, all right, I get the student prepared. Now I got to get somebody who's going to accompany the student. So I'm going to have to find somebody who can read. As simple as that. I'm going to have to find right. somebody who's going to be able to sit down and and accompany this student, you know, and read the score behind the student. Sometimes those scores are more difficult than <laughs> than the solo that the student is playing. <laughs> And so I got to find somebody who can deal with that, you know, and and I can't go to someone who is a, who can read by ear, who can play by ear to do that, you know, you know, and say, right. Look, you know, you know, um, how much how much do you charge? You know, I can't do that. I have to find somebody who who is an excellent musician and who can read. 
So that's that's the reading. Look, reading music is just important as reading a book. That's the way I look at it. Okay, that you that Excellent. that. Oh yeah, that that you you ought to be able. You, if you're gonna play by ear, you you need to also be able to play by note. You need to also be able to read. You know, um, and and again, the ability to be able to play by ear is a God's gift, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. You know, but but the the person who has that gift ought to realize that he or she needs to take the next step. And learn how to read and become an excellent reader. And and the musician who has both able to read and able to play by ear, you know, he can write his own ticket. Or she That's can a valuable lesson. An That's right. That's a valuable lesson. So, Dr. Lampton, we're going to take a break. It'll be a 30 second break and we'll be right back, okay? Okay. All right. No problem. Let's get loose. This trick. Yeah. That. 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 What up, y'all? Just came to your city to say what's up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Show me love. Show me love. Uh, hop off the plane to a new show what up? And all the shorties, they be waiting on me Thugs packing they pistols But ain't nobody aiming on me Got a pocket full of fresh dough So you know I gotta bake it, homie And I'm thankful Get whatever you want Welcome back to Wish Upon a Star This is Andel Banks, your host And we want to say thank you for listening we are broadcasting on www.bbsradio.com, Station 2. You can listen to all of our previous broadcasts in our archive link. We also welcome suggestions and comments. Please send them by email to musicradio34 at gmail.com. Let me repeat that. Any comments and suggestions, please send them by email to radio34 at gmail.com. Our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, is a professional in music education, Dr. John R. Lampkin II, educator, musician, performer, and instructor. To continue with our questions, Dr. Lampkin, the Culmination Research Project for your doctorate at College Park was your dissertation titled Beyond the Podium, a phenomenological investigation of the life worlds of experienced high school band directors, which I understand focused on what it was like to be a high school band director. This project was nominated as being among the best dissertations in music education to be written in 2003. Okay, John, just what is a phenomenological investigation, and what did your findings research yield? Okay, um, <laughs> a phenomenological investigation. Well, um, the, the research methodology I use was phenomenology. The question then is, okay. what is phenomenology? Well, the phenomenology or phenomenology is a descriptive piece which tries to describe any phenomena. Okay? okay, and any you know anything which we see is is a phenomena that appears that shows itself to us. Okay, now what we want to try to do is to describe that 
down to its last or most finite detail. Um, and in its description, the, the seer of a specific phenomena may see this phenomena different than another seer. But in its description, in describing this phenomena, we describe it so finite, uh, so, so acutely that this, the other seers will come to know what this phenomena is all about. Okay, now, having said that, the, the idea of taking band directors and describing what it is that they do or what it is or how they are to the world mm-hmm. or what their life worlds are about. The life world is that, that area that we all live in because we all have life worlds. We all have, have, have a world that is ours, uh, yours, my wife's, all of us, and they're different, okay? The band director has a life world. His, his, he spends the majority of his time in his band room or her band room uh, uh, dealing with what it means to be a band director. Now, in order to understand that, we got to talk to band directors, and that is how you develop a phenomenological methodology by talking to and describing what it is that, um, uh, that you have seen and that you have heard. So um, what I did was, it, and, it, and it's, a, it, it's a qualitative piece, it's not a quantitative piece. Um, mm-hmm. Now, what I'm saying about that is, uh, what I mean there is that, that a quantitative piece um, uh, counts things, counts, you know, um, the number of correct or incorrect responses, or correct. Mm-hmm. you right. know, you know, sends out uh, surveys and brings back surveys, and so then what you do is count all these, you know, uh, um, answers, and then you end up with a, a average, a median, and median, and able, yeah. right, and then you're able to make uh, assumptions based on on this um, on the um, statistical uh, analysis of of all these surveys and whatnot. That's one way to do a dissertation, but I didn't want that. I didn't want to be counting beans and peanuts, okay? What I wanted to do is to tell the story of these band directors and describe what it means to be a band director. That's the phenomena, okay? Mm -hmm. And to look deep into this phenomena, I had to talk to band directors. We had to converse. We had to talk about what it means to be band directors. And that's what I got to, okay? So I heard then from band directors, I heard their stories. And, and what, I, what the research yielded were, were these various stories from these band directors about what it meant to be a band director, okay? Mm. What it meant to be among students who you're trying to teach music to. I remember talking to one one band director, and he was uh, he was playing a piece of music. I forgot what the name of the music was, but the music um, it was it was he was preparing it for his concert band. But the music had to do with um, with some um, some tragedy in the lives lives of of these people in a particular community. 
the, the, the house had burned down and, and the children had died and 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 you know but it was some some serious tragedy i don't remember the name of the piece that it's been a while ago but i do remember him telling me that he explained to his band his students about this particular piece and what the story was behind the piece and then they played it and he was preparing it for the festival and and he and he went on and he said, John, he said, you know, sometimes sometimes the rehearsals are more meaningful than the performance. And he said, We rehearsed this piece, rehearsed he said, and and the last time they rehearsed it before they the actual performance, he said they got it. And when we finished it, he said, We stopped and you could hear a pin drop and you saw some of the students with tears in their eyes, you know. And they knew that, the background of the story. They knew the background of the story, but the piece itself yeah. was so moving. The music yeah. was so moving. They knew the, they knew the background. And so then the, what they were able to do was emote through this music, okay? And, oh. and he said, man, he said, they got it. We felt it. Well, what is music supposed to do for you but to make you feel something? To make you feel yeah. something that you're not going to be able to say in words. And to be able to pass that feeling on to students, then I think it's a powerful, powerful teaching tool to say, look, here's this music that we're going to play. And when they finally play it and they finally get it, you know, everybody then feels, you know, the meaning of this music and have, have brought that meaning, that meaning forward in their, in their performances. Now that then is describing the phenomena of what it means to be a band director. See, that's 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 what this this whole dissertation. Yeah, I got I got so many stories in there. I mean, you know, there was another story about a young lady who, who's a band director, and she um, she was telling me about a student who found her solace in the band room. You know, she didn't. She didn't go to, to lunch, you know, and 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 in the study hall. She didn't go to study hall. Whenever she was free, she was down in the band room. Mm. She was down in the band room. She 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 bought her her lunch down in the band room. Then she would practice, and she stayed down in the band room. Well, she was having problems at home, okay, and and the problems were so severe that the band director found that she that this this particular student was suicidal, and she found that being in the band room was comforting to her. And, and I remember being a band director that, that sometimes, you know, um, just recently, just recently, this is an interesting story, just recently, um, a, a former band student of mine in the 70s, who since has become a, a close friend of mine, he had polio. And um, uh, and and he is he's gone on to become a a wonderful musician. He plays regularly with with several of the of of, of the Manhattan groups. You know now they got several of, of those groups, and and the Dells got several. So he plays with all, and he travels all over the world with these people. Anyway, and he still has has um, uh, um, 
the polio, and it's, it's gotten to the point where now, you know, for him to play, he has to strap his sticks onto his hand some kind of way, made some kind of glove, because it's difficult for him to hold his sticks. Now, he was experiencing those kinds of maladies when he was in high school with me. But he never went, he, he hardly ever left the band room. <laughs> I had to tell him, look, man, you need to go to class. And he would go to class, and, and, and with the polio thing, you know, he couldn't walk fast, so he, he would kind of, you know, walk up the hall to his class, and then as soon as the class was over, he'd back in the band room, okay? And he found solace in the band room. Um, uh, I had him playing trombone. He said, man, he, he, says, he, he, he said, um, he called me John. I said, do you remember when, when, when I started playing drums? I said, no. I said, he said, well, he says, one day you went out the band room, and I was in there with some of the students, and when you came back, I was sitting on the drums playing, and you looked at me, and you said, okay, you're the drummer now. <laughs> I said, really? Because I didn't even remember that experience. But these are the kinds of stories that, that came out of, 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 of this research that I did, um, you know, of, of, of five band directors. I, I talked to five band directors, and we all shared stories, uh, you know, because I, I was right in the midst of it, about what it meant to be a band director. And, and um, the, the stories get quite profound. Um, uh, many of the stories don't even deal with the process of teaching music, but deal with the process of shaping young minds, and exactly. and trying to, you know, and trying to deal with with um, with high school students who, you know, who are just coming out of middle school, you know, they're not adult yet, you know, and they're trying to find their way, and it's true through these these experiences in band that. Um, uh, that that make what being a band director is all about, and that's what that uh, that that research was about. It was it was against the mode. It was against you know because I didn't want to sit down and, and do you know statistics and and do do all that. You know I, I wanted to I wanted stories. I wanted to hear what um, what these band directors had to say, and then see music education is so marginalized in marginalized in the um, in the school uh, you know in the education system. Think about it. You know, um, I know. Oh. yeah, you know, you know, um, every, every every hour of every school day, the the administrators, uh, you know, want to make sure that kids can count, which is very important, you know, and that that their their science skills is such that, um, you know, they can come and come out and change the world or whatever. But 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 to the exclusion to the exclusion of music and art and PE, okay? Uh, and so, so we as band directors, then, you know, we are constantly trying to fight that battle to, to get the administrators to understand how important music is in the lives of these students, you know? And, and it's a constant battle because some administrators get it, but the administrators don't stay at the schools for, for, for what, three, four, five years, that's it. So they leave, and here comes somebody else who doesn't get it, has no clue. Now you got a problem. <laughs> and so... Well, so John, I, you certainly can, can give them some advice. Because right. I understand to your credit, you attracted several legendary jazz musicians to the University of Maryland Eastern Shore while you were on the faculty there. That's so right, I know our audience wants to know, 
just how were you able to get so many great jazz musicians to come to your school and then again explain the thrill it must have been for your students to have experienced its opportunity to perform with these historical jazz greats. Yeah. Well, well, um, I think the first the first person that I had to come to play was Stanley Turrentine. That was oh. the first one, yeah. And that was shortly after I got to UMES. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. No, then, okay, so so here's the story. This is an interesting story. So I get to UMES, the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, and I'm now in the in the, the music department. So, and they're giving my me the classes that I'm going to teach, and. Look, I was teaching everything. I mean, they, you know, I, I had no clue about, um, you know, about the college level, about, you know. And so everything they threw my way, I said, okay. <laughs> and I taught, right? Uh-huh. I mean, you know, you know, now I know that there's a certain load that you're supposed to maintain and, 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 and you shouldn't go over this load. And so, man, I didn't know anything about that. To be okay. successful, right. Well, 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 not, not to be perceptive, but if you, if you are, you know, if you're on the faculty, then there's a faculty load, and it's like 12 hours, you know, you're not supposed to exceed that, you know, so I could have very easily said, well, no, I'm not going, you know, I've, I've gotten my load, you know, but I exceeded that every semester. Look, I was teaching, now I'm a trumpet player, okay, I'm teaching drums, okay, I'm teaching violin, <laughs> you know, not only that, you know, I got the, the concert band and the jazz band. Didn't have a marching band then, but they also wanted the pep band, so now I got the pep band, you know, and, and then I'm teaching arranging and I'm teaching, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah, I'm teaching a lot of stuff. But I'm also teaching what they call music appreciation, okay? And that was a class that was open to the university. So and I get the book, okay, and, and the book is, is is basically teaching the kids classical music from uh you know, from from mm. the medieval period, you know, and you know, on forward. You know, through the Baroque era, you know, and then and, and through the classical era and the romantic era and twentieth century. That's what it was, okay? And then the the piece about jazz was maybe two or three pages long and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so I'm like, wait a minute. So I went to my department. I said, wait a minute. I want to teach jazz appreciation or jazz history. I said, this is a black school. This is a a, a HBCU. Y'all need to have a jazz history class in this school, and I'm going to teach it, right? <laughs> so my department is very pompous, but he was a, a good guy. So he says, well, well, Mr. Lampkin, if, if this is what you want to do, he says, you're going to have to get students to sign up for your class. So I said, okay, you know, we can do that. And so what I started doing, see now, now, you know, I had to, I had to rely on, on, on how I was as a musician advertising where we were playing in and around Baltimore. I remember going to the Globe um, print shop and getting those big flyers and whatnot and tacking them up on, on, um, on 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 uh, telephone poles about you know where we were playing in brown town <laughs> right mm-hmm. you know what i mean so i started 
getting flyers and tacking the flyers up around campus, introducing this new course, Jazz Appreciation. Mm-hmm. So I got the course. You know, I got the course in. So let me fast forward. So finally, you know, you know, they showed me how to, to write a course proposal and so forth and so on, and it got adopted. Okay. So now I'm no longer teaching jazz, I mean, the, the music appreciation. Everybody else taught that. I'm teaching jazz appreciation. And they still got jazz appreciation down at UMES now as a result of my efforts when I, when I joined the faculty. Well, anyway, so... <laughs> so, so, so one one semester, the next semester, whatever, you know, I, I get my class and I'm walking in class, and so now I'm reading the, the role of the new kids in the class, and I'm reading, 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 and I come down, this girl named Shirley Turrentine, I'm like Shirley Turrentine. So I look up, I said, look, I said the only Turrentine I know is Stanley Turrentine. He's a saxophone player. Would you be related to him? She said, yes, that's my father. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know? Oh. And so I said, so then I called her after class. I said, look. I said, you think your father would come down here and play with the jazz band? She said, well, give him a call. So she gave me his phone number. So I get on the phone. I call, you know, and talk to him and talk to his wife and whatnot. Turns out that this was his daughter. But his wife was, you know, had a son who was at UMES from a previous marriage, right? So now they yeah. got two kids at UMES. So I called him. He said, yeah, he said, I'll come down. He said, we can come down there, you know, and, and visit the kids and, and play in the band, play with the band. That was the first time I got it. And so he came down there. Man, we had a ball. We had a ball. He, he came down. As a matter of fact, he was late, but that was fine with me, you know, and he came on out and played. And, and so that was the first one. Okay, and then see, I'm also a member. Well, I used to be a member of the um, of the, uh, the Jazz Educators Association, you know, and which is now defunct. And I would go to the to the um, uh, to conferences, and so when I'd go to the conferences, I'd meet um, players and I'd ask them if they'd come down. But um, but and 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 that's what I did. And then my son is a professional musician. And he knew a lot of players, and so, you know, and so I'd say, well, man, Dad, I said, his name is John. I said, John, who do you think I ought to get? He said, well, Dad, try so-and-so, and so try it. And I get on the phone and call him and whatnot. And so that's how I got a lot of players. So I ended up with a lot of people who came down. Um, uh, Charles Fambro, uh, well, Fambro was from Philadelphia, and Fambro had played with uh, with the Blakey Band, his bass player. And and I had sat in with Fambro in Atlantic City because when he would come to Atlantic City at the time when there was music in the town, um, uh, and and in the seventies there was a, there was still a club that featured live music. It was a few, you know, in the seventies that featured live music in the city. And Fambro used to come down with a band, and I used to sit in with him. And so I knew Fambro, and so I asked Fambro. And then then there was. Um, uh, the, the, the Eubanks brothers. Now, you know Kevin Eubanks. Kevin Eubanks was a guitar player yeah. on the RCA mm-hmm. show. Well, well, he has, there's several brothers. There's, there's Kevin, there's um, Shane, there's Dwayne, and there's Robin. Robin is a trombone player, a uh, professional trombone player. Shane and Dwayne are, 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 are twins, and, and Shane came to, um, 
to UMES as a result of me recruiting him. I, I did a recruiting. Um, I recruited in Philadelphia, and I got Shane to come to UMES. He's a trombone player. His brother was at Hampton. So his brother heard what we were doing at UMES, because I didn't have a marching band. I had a jazz band, though, and we were doing a lot of playing. And so um, so to, um, uh, his brother, Dwayne, left Hampton and came to UMES. So now I got okay. Shane and Dwayne Eubanks in the band. So then I asked, I said, well, well, do you think your brother would come down? And, and, and I'm not talking about Stanley, but talking about Robin, because he was a professional mm-hmm. player. And they said, sure, give him a call. So I gave him a call, and sure enough, he comes down to play. You know, so that, these these are some of the ways that I got, you know, I got Shirley because Shirley, you know, at one time Shirley Tarantine was married to Stanley, of course. Yeah. So Stanley gave me her number, so I get on the phone and call her. She comes down. So you know, but I mean, you know, I got to pay these people, and so what I did was I um I I, I did a um uh I got a grant. I got I wrote grants every year from um. Uh, from the Wicomico County Art Society and and the, the the Somerset County Art Society, so you know I, I got grants and and I was able to get enough money to be able to pay these people to come down and, and play with the band. So yeah, so yeah, this, <laughs> that's how I got them. Oh, that's wonderful. I know we're going to have to do two shows because i got a lot of more questions <laughs> here, and we're about to go off. But my last is that right? Is, yeah. Yeah, we're about to to cut off. So what I want to do is to see whether or not we can probably set up another date in the future for you to come back. So to to go off, before we go off, all I want you to do is send some beautiful thoughts. When I ask, if you had the power to change anything in this world, what would it be? I thought that was an interesting question, and I do want to get your take on that, and then we'll be able to sign off. Wow! If I had if 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 I had the power to change anything in this world, Lord have mercy! What would I change? There'd be so much that I'd want to change. You know, I mean, we could start <laughs> we could start with the political system. We could start there okay. and taking all this money out of the political system and just and 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 let every vote count, right? You know, because okay. Well, do can now, we do? Let's do some bullet points. So we're going to say political. What would what would other things be? But you know, you know, other the um, other piece, other piece would be music. Now, now, okay. for instance, our our system, our commercial system, you know, our commercial radio system is so commercially driven, and mm. and what we hear on these commercial stations, you know, and a lot of times is not music to me. Maybe it's music to somebody else. But the reason we hear all that stuff is because Adidas and all the rest of these big companies throw all this money into these commercial stations, and so then they they are dictated in terms of what they're able to play. If I could change one thing, it would be that that everybody would hear all kinds of great music, classical music. I mean, how many radio stations can you go to where you can hear Bach or Beethoven or Stravinsky or or Mahler or or any of the great uh, symphonies, you know, regularly, and jazz. How many stations can you go and listen to jazz regularly, continuously, all day long? Many of them are Unless you pay for it. Unless you pay for it. 
unless you pay for it. Yeah. You know, and it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be. You know, I, I think you know, as the artist in me says that 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 we need to have more access. To all of, all of the world's great music, particularly jazz, because that's that's music I love, you know, and I, and I love all music. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, I I was into the Dixie Chicks a few years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, so I mean, well, all jazz music. is indigenous to all music anyway. I that's mean, right. You can't get that's any right. other music unless you unless you go to jazz first. But, well, yeah. that's right. That's right. You you know. Okay, Doctor Lampkin. I know, like I said, we have need touch base That's with right. half of the things that we need to talk about, and you have been so informative that I know I'm going to have to coordinate this again. Okay. So tell us where we can actually go to your website and get some more information that I didn't even begin to dissertate. Well, well website? my website, and it's going to be updated. My website is drjohnlampkin.com. And that's that's my website. And I also, I, I also, my wife and I have a, have a little music um, uh, academy that we run every summer. And so you can go to okay. that website, and that is um, we call it B Sharp, the B Sharp Summer Music Enrichment Academy. But the website is B Sharp Music Academy dot com. B Sharp Music Academy dot com. So you can go there. And and see what we do during the summer, and, and and there might be people, you know, out there who might want to have this their children or grandchildren or, uh, or nephews or nieces participate with us during the summer. It's a five-week program, and um, and it's a, a nominal fee, you know. Yeah, I know uh, Mr. Grubbs had his ones too. I he has one too. He has a great Grubbs. one. Yeah. Yeah. Here's <laughs> the difference between the two of them. Let me just say. That that yeah. ours his focus is primarily on jazz. Ours yeah. focus is on music. We uh, okay. not that jazz isn't music, but but we have all musics and and the, the emphasis is on reading. The emphasis on is on technique. We teach a lot of technique um, and and students. So you know, I prepare students for the solos for the solo and ensemble festival. At the end, we put together a big uh, ensemble and. You know, we play jazz at the end. So you know, we got we got we got strings. You know, we got uh, we got several teachers, and and my wife is the vocalist and whatnot. And it's, and it's her program. So Earth was Earth was She's the CEO. But uh, but yeah, okay. people can go there and see what we are doing. All right, excellent. Thanks again. Like I said, I know I know I want to have you back uh, because <laughs> no, I know you're going to be doing more fantastic things, and we. You know, the dissertation of all what you have said is just wonderful for our audience to actually take note of. Again, thank you so much, and thank I'll you. be speaking to you later. Okay, look, take care of yourself, and thank all you right. so much for having me. You too. You can hang up now, and then what I'll do is come back and sign off the station. Thank okay. you, Dr. Lampkin. Right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
wow, that was absolutely fantastic. And we certainly will have Dr. John Lampkin back. I want to say thank you for listening to the broadcast. Wish Upon a Star on bbsradio.com, Station 2. You can listen to our previous broadcast in the archive link at bbsradio.com, Station 2. Again, we welcome comments and suggestions at musicradio34 at gmail.com. And you can look for us on iTunes, Facebook, and in syndication. This is Andell, your host, and Denise Banks, your coordinator, saying, keep reaching for the stars.